Alright everybody and welcome back to what we are now calling the Two Stripes Podcast. If you can't really figure out what Two Stripes mean, you should probably listen to something else. But Colton Denning here alongside Denver Powell, episode number two. We came to you with our first inaugural episode a couple of weeks ago. We'd like to record a little more frequently, but we are here on Saturday, May 21st, 2016, ready to talk a little college football. We've got a bunch going on today, a bunch to talk about. But uh, but first, Denver, how you doing, man? Long time no see. Been a yeah, couple weeks. It has been a couple weeks. Been out of town. Uh couple graduations going on in the family, so you got to get out and, and be a part of those. But yeah, it's nice to be back and not have anything to do on a Saturday, let me tell you. Um, good to be back home for sure. And you're right, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on in the college football world uh, since we last got together and talked. Yeah, and I'm excited to jump into uh, the topics we got lined up for today's show. How you been, man? Pretty good, dude. Haven't been doing much. The seasonal work kind of renders my schedule useless at this time of year yeah. with basketball and hockey being over, but doing work up on the campus of Metropolitan State University of Denver, helping along the students there for their radio station. But other than that, basically watching wrestling, doing stuff for this podcast, trying to get some music stuff popping off with my brother, basically just having fun. I'm not doing a goddamn thing right now. It's been great. It's been like I've been on summer back in college. That may bite me here in a few months, but for right now, really living it up. I know you and I are, are taking a trip out to Las Vegas next month for one of our buddies' bachelor parties, so that'll be a lot of fun. We'll be building up to that, I think, as the weeks go on. Yeah. We may record from Las Vegas, which Li- should be well, not, li- not live, but certainly from Las Vegas. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, you doing any, any personal health prep, any body prep to get ready for your first Vegas experience? Yeah, absolutely. I've been in the gym four or five days a week, man. Yeah. Been working work legs yesterday, Ooh. squatting, hamstrings, even calves. Got to get right, man. Can't be looking like an upside-down triangle. But I have been in the gym, and I know that you, know, you and I, out of, I think, the 10 or 12 people are going. It's not like you and I are gym fiends, but compared to the rest of our cadre of friends, we might as well be in the world's strongest man competition. Yeah, we're, um, you can call me, you know, Magnus Samuelson <laughs> for that matter. We talk about the the comparisons to our group of friends. Um, but yeah, and I've been, I've been, you know, we we're about a month out. I'm taking off uh, June 17th, so I figured for my my month leading up, I'll uh, cut out all the liquor during the week. So uh, you know. Going completely dry Monday until about Friday at five. It's a smart life choice anyway. And you know, it might be a good thing to just implement year round. But yeah, just trying to get get right, get loose, uh, keep the body looking good. You know, Jim Rome's got a lot of good lessons to learn about how to uh, prepare for a trip like this and you know, taking those to heart. So yeah, I think there's uh, gonna be a lot of potential for some good times. In, Absolutely. in Vegas and uh, you know we'll see what happens we got a pretty good crew rolling with us so I'm excited it's my first trip and uh, and I, yeah, I'm looking forward to it it certainly will be memorable we'll keep all the listeners up to date on any of the happenings that go on there and speaking of the listeners we want to thank everybody that either downloaded which were two of you and one of them wasn't me and i don't know if one of them was you i didn't download so we had two unique downloads so whoever you are the both of you thank you very much for the soundcloud uh downloads we also had i think 45 44 45 soundcloud listens which was more than i expected so thank you to everybody that uh listen i want to give a personal shout out to robbie burden uh padres fan that we both follow each other on twitter have interacted i think he's our first iTunes subscriber, so there we'll we be go. up on iTunes. I'll have to change the name to the Two Stripes Podcast, but we'll be up. Subscribe to that. Leave a comment. Leave a review. Uh, leave any sort of questions, concerns, whatever. So whatever we can do to make this podcast better, we will do that. But once again, thank you to everybody who went and listened. We uh, we hope we can be a good source of college football information for you. And speaking of that, let's just lead right in. A ton going on. A lot locally. CSU's trying to get into the Big 12 reportedly. CU had a quarterback that was committed. Grad transfer Davis Webb from Texas Tech that ended up committing to Cal. But a lot of national stuff going on. But first of all, I know you have an idea with expansion coming up or at least 
looking to come up in, in college football playoff. It's so much of college football now is focused on the financials. You wanted to talk a little bit about possibly a streaming service and the future of what college football on TV or our computers might be for the general public. Right, and, and to back up a step, when you look at the college football landscape and the, the factors that go into any any decision, whether it be conference realignment or networks or what have you, you know, really the, the choices that teams make or are forced to make or can't make for whatever reason uh, is really driven by one of three things. You have your conference allegiances and, you know, the quote unquote historical brand value of rivalries and your association with whatever, whatever conference you're in. You have competition, you know, I want to be in a better conference for whatever reason, or you've got money. And we've seen, especially over the last, you know, five, six, seven years, the, the financial side of, of these TV deals and conference realignment really come to the forefront, particularly with, with these conference networks, whether it be the SEC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Longhorn Network, etc. All of the money that's going into to those, those deals and that's really become the driving, you know, the driving force between all this realignment, all this talk with the Big 12. We got to add two more teams or four more teams or whatever the case may be. Longhorn Network and how that all folds in. And it really drove me to a point where I was like, okay, ESPN has been the de facto, you know, they're the worldwide leader in sports, no doubt. And Fox and Fox Sports 1 have recently started to make a play for them. And so how can we kind of fold all of this into a, a digital streaming service as cord cutting becomes more and more prevalent and we've seen ESPN over the last two years take big hits in subscriber numbers. How can a streaming college football, a CFB TV, if you will, you know, on your Apple TV, on your Roku, on your Chromecast, what does that look like? How much would it cost? Who are the winners and losers? And what is it gonna take to, to get something like that together? And the model that I'm kind of thinking of is MLB.TV. I know you, you, you subscribe to it, I do as well. And for the listeners who, who may not be familiar, it is a streaming service you can get on your laptop or on any of the previously mentioned streaming devices where you can get access to any out of market game, you know, uh, for, I think it's 20 bucks a month or $24 a month or for a year, I think it's a hundred bucks. And if you were to put something together for college football, what would that look like? And what would the price point be? Um, and I've started to do a little bit of research. So I just kind of wanted to tease it a little bit today. And then in our next podcast, come back and, and kind of dive into the finances and the, the politics and, and what, you know, is it even realistic to think that something like this could happen? And also, what would it cost the end user to subscribe to that service? Uh, I've done a little digging and I've found that it's pretty difficult to get, uh, you know, market research data about media um, without a, a pretty hefty subscription. So I'll have to do some creative research to find out what uh, what the cost numbers are going to be. But I, I just wanted to throw that out there for this podcast. So hopefully uh, because any of the listeners uh, who might be interested in that come back next time and, and we'll have a little uh, chat on what uh, the quote-unquote CFB TV will look like and um, you know this has plenty of offshoots into tangents and other topics and I think the most relevant given the the current events of the last month is Big 12 expansion and Dubs I know you got plenty of, of uh, comments on that how do you feel Big 12 where are they at what are they doing what's their future look like are they, can they survive, you know, all of the, the realignment that we've, we've seen in the last four or five years? I don't think there's any chance that the Big 12 can survive. I think that four or five years at most is what the conference as we know it now mm -hmm. has left. At least the way things are going, because the last round of realignment was all about adding new pieces. Big Ten was adding Rutgers, adding Maryland, and packaging those in with TV deals to get those markets. And a lot of smart people think that the next round of realignment isn't going to be that. It's going to be about consolidation. And that's something Stuart Mandel from Fox Sports talks about that we'll get into here in a little bit in an article about the future of 
of college football. When it pertains to the Big 12, though, I kind of think they're just overthinking their position in the landscape right now. And maybe that has to do with how much power Texas has. But I think the Big 12, with 10 teams right now, is in the perfect spot, at least when it comes to an on-field product and, and wanting to make the playoff. I know it hurt them the first year, but those were, I think, really special circumstances that Ohio State would go out and beat Wisconsin by 59 points. And TCU and Baylor, I think TCU played Iowa State. and I don't even know if Baylor played in that last week, but I, I think that was kind of a perfect storm for them to miss the playoff. And, and the outrage was such that there was talk last year about, well, we need to do this. We need to change how the Big 12 works because we're going to get screwed out of the playoffs. And then you see this year, I, I think is more along the lines of what would happen if they stuck with the 10-team model in this current playoff system is, oh, OU sits at home that final week and whatever happens, happens. But oh, OU knows pretty much that they're in or whoever that team may be that wins the Big 12, they're in. So I, I think just from a general standpoint, the Big 12 is pretty much overthinking their position here and they probably will end up expanding and it'll cost them in terms of I think on field product but it's as we know with college football with sports with basically anything it's all about money and if something like Memphis which uh, some reports came out that Memphis has been interested and has sent some things to the Big 12 backed by FedEx saying we would be willing to pay huge money for a conference sponsorship for the Big 12 title game, is that going to be more enticing to the Big 12 leadership rather than, well, 10 teams work, we're going to get into the playoff anyway. They're going to take the money just like they always have. So I think the biggest disappointment is, I think just from purely a football standpoint, that the Big 12, I think, is going to kind of play itself into irrelevancy. And even if they do expand, I think that either one of Texas or OU is going to bolt whether that's the Pac-12 for Oklahoma or the, I think more likely the Big Ten for Texas, I think one of those teams eventually cuts bait with the rest of the conference. And maybe if it's OU, they bring along Oklahoma State. But I think that one of those teams is going to cut bait. But I do think that it won't matter in the terms of that rivalry between Texas and OU. They didn't play in the same conference until 1996. So that'll be a bigger – people will make a bigger deal of that than I think what they should – but I think that that's the one thing that leads me to believe that one of them will break off is because it's not like they've been together like Texas and A&M had been for so long. So I just don't see, to answer your question in the, in the longest way possible, I see the Big 12 dissolving here in three or four years mm -hmm. because it just doesn't have anything viable. It doesn't have a footprint outside of Texas and OU to a lesser extent, I think. Right, and that kind of leads into the at least in the short term, who are they going to go get if they do want to expand? And before we dive into that, I think, kind of echoing what you said, I think the 10-team model, from a competitive standpoint, is great. And, you know, you can make whatever jokes you want to make about the, the one true champion motto, but it is a system where everyone plays everybody every single year. And I know that leaves potential for three-way ties you know at the top of the top of the conference at the end of the season but i i do like the model where everyone in the conference plays each other at least once you know there's years we saw with iowa and the big 10 last year where they don't have to play ohio state they don't play michigan state you know and they didn't find, play michigan didn't play michigan either and find their find themselves in, in a big 10 game which i think given the year the rest of the big 10 west had they deserve to be in but you know you end up with these you know these special circumstances where you don't play the power teams on the other side of the conference and you put yourself in a position that you may not necessarily deserve if your true goal is to, to, to determine who's the best team in the conference. Um, that and the fact that you only play eight conference games, I think is a huge, a huge advantage, you know. And it's purely from an on-field, just an on-field product standpoint, and, and I completely agree with you that I think even 12 teams is fine. And if you want to have a conference championship game, 
then right. that, that's whatever. And, well, and, it, that's and they wouldn't crazy. have to add teams necessarily to do that. They can get a waiver from the NCAA, to, you know, this year if they wanted to to have a conference championship game with ten teams. But and even then, that's that's not smart. We've seen the Big Twelve in the past, whether it's been Kansas State, it's happened to Nebraska, I think oh, yeah. at least once. Yep. It almost happened to Texas yep. in two thousand and eight, which I know you have strong feelings about that game. Yeah, I do. Missouri, it happened to them in two thousand seven against Oklahoma. So you think if one conference would recognize how much a conference championship or in this act this extra you know frosting i guess is the worst way to say it but these extra games can hurt in terms of playing for a national championship or another big bowl game it would be the big 12 because it's it's come back and bite them in the ass a few yeah, times yeah they, they've seen it firsthand and and i think SB Nation had an article um, I'm not sure who the author was, so I can't credit it. But basically, um, the Big 12 had done a, you know a research survey and tried to figure out what was the difference, what were the, how were their chances of making the playoff affected with or without having a conference game. And I think they found that having a conference game gave them um, an extra playoff bid once every 20 years. Well, and, and two, when it comes to those numbers, I don't know how anybody, even how, these how most advanced that. research firms can calculate any numbers whether it's good or bad numbers we agree yeah. with or disagree and even with. if their mathematics are solid the error margins the error you know is going to be enormous so well and i think in the bcs era maybe that would be more of a thing we could look at that and say those are concrete numbers given right. what we know about the we BCS. know what the, we, we know it what the computer is going to say more but when or there's less. 12 people exactly. that are random and that pretty much and, i, I don't and, think are going to shuffle every year but you're going to get new people right they're not going to say the same for 20 years it, it's I, I don't think you can really quantify how they're going to make those decisions of who's going to get into the playoffs but in terms of who the big 12 might let in I mean, we might as well stick local. CSU has made a big push behind the scenes. They've, they've yep. sent out pamphlets to the to the Big 12. They've talked about the proximity to Denver. In one of the pamphlets, they talked about how close it was to DIA for whatever reason. And, I mean, I don't have strong feelings about this other than laughter, I guess, of, of CSU trying to get into the Big 12. Because if there's anything that I think you and I can speak to specifically – about college football, it's this market and how this market and the the Pac-12 market in general out here west doesn't care for football. There's I don't think there's one hotbed of college football. Even USC, that that's not a hotbed of of fandom. And Boulder, Colorado, and the surrounding area, the Denver metro area, it's not. It's, it's a football town, but it's it, not it's a Colorado an, university. It's an NFL town. It's an NFL town, precisely. And and that's. I mean, if that's the, really the only card that CU has to play, and I looked at some of their, their marketing material they sent to the Big 12, that's basically what they were selling is, you know, we can deliver the Denver market, and the Denver market has all these people from Texas and all these people from Oklahoma, you know, and we can really boost your, your ratings if you were to go to a, a conference network format. Um, but on the flip side... They really haven't. I mean, they've had some success. It hasn't been tremendous. And in the Big Twelve, where where do they line up competitive? You know, from a competitive standpoint, above Iowa State and Kansas. And Kansas, and that's probably about it. I wouldn't put them on West Virginia's level, Oklahoma State's level, not at all Kansas State's right. level. No, I and, mean, and what what's the What's the incentive for a school like Texas or OU or even Oklahoma State to say, yeah, we'll go to Fort Collins every other year? Yeah, well, it's, 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 it's all a matter of, of relation and what the other potential options are. So, you know, there's kind of been five teams floating around, well, four really, Cincinnati, BYU, Colorado State, Boise State are the four that I've heard mentioned most. And among those four, to me at least, Cincinnati is the home run, right? You got to get Cincinnati in there. It's a big television market, huge, you know, under you have 45,000 undergrads every year. Um, it fucking throws a bone to West Virginia big time, so they don't have to, you know, that's their, you got a new home game there. Uh, BYU, I think, is a very interesting case. And the more I think about it, I don't think they really care to be in the Big 12, to be completely. I don't think they need to be either. Right. They're independent. 
they like scheduling, you know, they can schedule whoever they want. It doesn't, they don't have to worry about the whole playing on Sunday thing with all their other sports, whether it be basketball, softball, baseball, what have you. Um, the only downside is, I mean, they really don't have any claim, at least on the local television market. Salt Lake City is about 1.1 million people. The Denver market, by comparison, is almost 3 million. Um, what they could sell, kind of like Notre Dame does, is that uh, we can got you know the entire LDS you know system behind us. But the more I think about it, if BU really wanted to be in the confer- in a conference, I think it's going to be the back the Pac-12. I think that'd be the best fit. And, it, and and it's really mutual because you've heard all the news about the Pac-12 and Larry Scott wanting to expand into China, into Japan, into... And Branding. A, and, and however ridiculous that may be, you go look at the footprint of the, the Mormon church and it's American Samoa, it's the Philippines, they have a temple in Hong Kong. I mean, I think from BYU's perspective... What they want to get out of it is they ultimately want to be a mouthpiece for the Mormon church. That's what the BYU football team from the administration's perspective is. And if they can get into that market where they have small footholds and grow them by virtue of playing football, however ridiculous that may be in 2016, who knows what's going to happen in 10 years. I think BYU is a a way better fit in the Pac-12 than they are in the Big 12. And... If they had to, if they had the choice, they'd definitely go Pac-12. And if the only option was the Big 12, I think they'd probably remain independent. Well, and I think the the one thing looming over all of this, and kind of the final piece to this, is Longhorn Network. And well, as long as Longhorn Network is around, Texas has zero incentive to give anybody else a piece of the pie or just give up their pie for nothing. And they pay Texas an average of $15 million through 2031. ESPN. ESPN does. And if you're Texas, what's your incentive to facilitate any of this? Texas can survive on its own. They can be... They can, Texas could be in the ACC. I, I think it, it doesn't really matter where Texas falls. But as long as Longhorn Network is still there, I think anything that the Big 12 wants to do, whether it's expansion, stick where they are... Until Texas agrees to do anything about the Longhorn Network, it's not going to happen. And I think the overriding theme here is the Big 12's fucked, I think is is my takeaway from all of this. Because there's just no incentive for Texas to concede, whether it's money, power, anything. How dependent do you think Texas is on the brand capital of their rivalry with Oklahoma and the other Texas schools? I think locally, probably, just because it is such a big deal down there. But from a national standpoint, I think if Texas were to, you know, we're just throwing this out there. If Texas were to go to the Big Ten and you could have Texas play Ohio State or Michigan State or Michigan, Penn State, whatever it may be, I'm not sure that it really matters because Texas had, Texas has killed those schools for so long and Tech's been a competent program for, you know, just over ten years, maybe maybe ten to fifteen years. Baylor hasn't been a competent program for more than five or six years, and, and depending <laughs> depending on how all this Art Brile stuff shakes out, like you say, it may not be. And you know, TCU I, they've been so consistent under Gary Patterson, but it's not like they've been a real national player up until you know two thousand seven, two thousand eight on. I'm not sure that they're so dependent from that from a national standpoint, but I'm also not sure that Texas would just sever those ties. I don't think they're interested in getting rid of of that tradition and just the fact that they play those schools and they're around those schools. Mm-hmm. But from a football standpoint, who knows? Because I'll- I think whatever happens just in the general expansion, whatever the future of college football is, it's not going to have anything to do with the rest of collegiate athletics. I think it's going to stri- they're going to find a way to strictly limit the scope to college football, no matter what happens. Right. So if you see a team, if if they do go to like with Stuart Mandel's article, he was talking about the future of college football and it basically being what he called it a college football confederation 
like the Premier League of 24 teams and you have eight teams make the playoffs out of that group of the main 24 teams with four different divisions, I think that it's just going to strictly be college football. Because if a school like West Virginia isn't in that, are they going to be kicked out of the Big 12? No, they're just not going to play Texas. They're not going to play OU. They might not play, you know, if Oklahoma State in this hypothetical scenario were to go there. So I think it's it's a matter of how they set it up, but I don't think Texas is willing to cut those ties, but I also don't think that they would completely be what devastated th- over it. How realistic or feasible is the Texas independent model? I think it's feasible based off of how how powerful they are and, and how much of a say they have in collegiate athletics. I also don't think that they would want to do that. Not that they need to be tied to a conference, but I don't think any school... I mean, you look at Notre Dame even. If they can get a bigger piece of the pie somehow, even if it's only playing five ACC games a year and then joining for basketball, they'll do that. I, I think Texas could survive and thrive independently, but I'm not sure they would really want to, per right. se. And I guess to me, that seems to be almost the path of least resistance because it takes you know, nine teams' problems in having to deal with Texas and makes it one team's problem in Texas. And then you're left with nine teams and a fair amount of 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 good programs that are competitive year to year. And then you talk about expansion, you can get to a number where you're at 12 teams without Texas. I think that might be a model that is you know, may not thrive, but would probably last longer than what you've got now, where there's so much infighting and with Texas holding all the cards with the TV rights, it seems, I I think I I give that, that particular possibility more credence than a lot of the, the news outlets you hear. Um, But that's kind of all I've got to say at this point. We'll see how it shakes out. Um, There's been a lot of talk that nothing's going to happen this year. Um, and that, I mean, it's already May, so I don't think we're going to see any developments in the 2016 season, and we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Well, and most of these teams can't do any. Most of these schools can't do anything right now because they all signed uh, like right to leave mm-hmm. grants and TV contracts. Most of them aren't up until 2023. The SEC's ends in 2024, and then. The college football playoff contract isn't up until 2025. And I want to know what your thoughts are on this, as Stuart Mandel called it, college football playoff confederation. The 24 teams, you'd have the East Division be Penn State, Miami, Florida State, Georgia, Clemson, and Florida. The Midwest, you would have Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Wisconsin. In the South, you would have Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU and Texas A&M and then out west it would be USC UCLA, Oregon, Stanford Texas and OU and basically how he set it up is each team would play all of their division games so five games and then six total games outside of their division so two against if you're the Midwest two against the East, two against the South Mm -hmm. two against the West and then the top two teams from each division would make the playoff and then you would have one extra game to where you could play somebody at the FCS level or a rivalry game from a team that isn't in those top 24. Right. But that, that's kind of how he set it up. Personally, I don't think I'd really be a fan of that. That sounds a lot like what the NFL does and just doesn't appeal to me in terms of what we think the ideal of just college football on the field should be. But it's certainly an interesting idea for what college football may look like in 10 years. Yeah, it's definitely a different take. Um, I don't think that the all the schools that aren't mentioned in those 24 teams... South Carolina, Oklahoma it, State... Exactly. There's, there's a lot of good programs that don't come up on that list. And I think they 
probably had a fair amount of leverage with the rivalries that they hold with the teams that are on this list to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Um, I personally haven't read this article. Um, is there any promotion or relegation to jump into this top 24? He didn't mention any sort of promotion or relegation, but the, the main thing for picking the top 24 teams was they've either played, most of them have either played for or won a national championship in the last 20 years. They've been to a BCS Bowl or they're in you know the top TV markets. I think he said 21 of the top 24 teams are in those big TV markets. I'm yeah. not really sure what Texas A&M did to get on this list other than have Johnny Manziel for those couple of seasons yeah. because they, they've been pretty, I think, mediocre in the terms of modern college football since Bear Bryant left up until the one BCS bowl game they made in 1998 and then Johnny Manziel. So maybe they got a big stadium and people are talking about him. But I I do think I'm with you that there would be so many obstacles and so many teams that I think would, in schools for that matter, that would really throw a fit over this that wouldn't allow it to be, hey, this is just a football thing. We're not doing anything different for basketball, but when it comes to football, South Carolina, sorry, you're, you're second division. You don't get to play with the big boys. You don't get to nope. play Alabama or Auburn, or you don't, you don't get to play Florida every year. I mean, when you talk about South Carolina not getting able to play, and I don't know why I'm coming up with South Carolina, but just as one reference, you know, that wouldn't have them play Florida, Georgia, even Clemson. You know, maybe Clemson would stick with that game under this hypothetical scenario, but they wouldn't have to. Right. And that just sounds like a college football that I don't want to exist. No, and, and I mean, I think your initial diagnosis of this was was right. This is too much like the NFL. The One of the reasons that I love college football is there are so many variables. It's not homogenous exactly. like the NFL it's, is. It's a very fluid and dynamic, you know, state of affairs that – that alone keeps you coming back because you don't know. I mean, yeah, you know who the good teams are, but even within that top, you know, 24 in a traditional construct, there's so much variability with the level of competition. And so I just don't think the fans will, I mean, I guess the fans really don't have a say in it, you know, to, to For, some extent. We haven't had a say in it. I mean, look at, we didn't I mean, even. We have games on New Year's Eve, right? That's, that's. Precisely. Yeah. We have playoff games on New Year's Eve, and then you have Bill Hancock saying, "Well, you know, it'll." It was just, just one year. going out there and doing the old one-two, and, and that's a whole different topic. But I just and I, Mandel I, I, actually brought up a counter to that, or I guess he was on the flip side of that. If you're a fan, wouldn't you want to see Ohio State and Alabama every year, or Ohio State and Tennessee? And I get that point, just from a a standpoint of you're playing the best every single game. That's awesome, but like we're saying, if I want that, I'll go watch the NFL. And right. the country's already crazed for the NFL. That's great. And this would earn big money because they probably would turn it into a streaming service right. where it would be like MLB. It would be a, a and he very, mentioned that where you know you pay, it'd be like a Sunday ticket. You watch you every game every Saturday. Bucks. Yeah. And like, I, I think you and I are in agreement it's not like that wouldn't make money. It would probably be a huge success in terms of making money, but in terms of what college football, I think, is to most fans, and it's not, well, this is the way we've always done it. I just think it's a way that separates college football from what it should be from a pro league, and not in terms of paying players or or what have you on that front, but just in terms of how we watch and consume the games and how, because at the end of the day, there's still universities. We know a ton of shady shit goes on, but they're still students. Right, and I'm curious what the secondary and tertiary effects in recruiting and, you know, the persistence of all these teams. Do all these other teams just die? And, like, we we get that college football, it's – it hasn't changed no. in terms of the power teams. Like we, we understand yeah, that. that we talked about it's this always last been time. Ohio State. It's always been Alabama. We know that, and you know that doesn't change that fact. But just from a standpoint of week to week, what we love about college football that changes drastically. And and for me, the final thing I'll say: Have you ever read Mice and Men? Yeah, it's been a long time, and I only only remember the major plot points. Do you remember Lenny? Yes. So for those of you who haven't read Mice and Men, Lenny is a character who's he's a little mental mentally disabled, but he he likes to pet soft things and he has a gentle heart, but he ends up killing things because he's so strong. And I think in college football, 
that's pretty much what we've seen from the powers that be that let's soak all the money out of this. Let's soak. This is great. Let's let's keep doing it. Texas A&M to the SEC. You know, moving everything around. This will be great. The fans will love it. So much money. Rutgers and Maryland to the Big Ten. That at the end of it, I think a lot of fans are going to feel like you and I to where like, this isn't college football. This is just the NFL. Right. And maybe that'll change anyway because players, you know, in five or ten years, I think that that scale is going to be different. But just throwing all that out the window from a standpoint of how the game is set up, it just feels like that's the way we're heading and it's unfortunate. Yeah, and I, and only time will tell. Um, when you look at the finances, it certainly, you know, from the numbers that Mandel's laid out, $114 million for each of the 24 schools. That's a big number. But we'll, we can only wait and see. I, 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 as a fan, don't like this This proposition but like you said what what say do we get so we'll, we'll just have to wait and, and find out um if we, if we keep playing the games on new year's eve i think that'll be a hint to which which way we're going precisely and i think we're we're about a hundred days away from the season getting away from Ugh. all of the tertiary stuff and the backroom deals and everything going on money wise the week one schedule for ESPN, ABC came out this week, and it's if you haven't seen it yet, it's, it's pretty damn good. It's fantastic. It may be the best week one, it's at least certainly from, from what I can from, remember. Yeah, from, it's it's yeah. been pretty amazing. And just pulling it up right here, you have USC Alabama in that night game on Saturday night. Oklahoma at Houston at the noon kick, which sucks for Houston, but that's the way it goes. LSU Wisconsin at, at Lambeau Field kind of bummed I mean I, I would love to see all these be night games but then you only get to watch one or two at a time Georgia at North Carolina how do you think North Carolina is going to fare against a, a Georgia team with Kirby Smart I think that North Carolina's position to win that game and, and start kind of and I know that they lost their quarterback from last year Marquise Williams I, I don't think that Georgia's in in the best position heading forward at least to start the year but I think that that can be a great springboard for North Carolina to at least go back to the ACC championship game I don't know how much of a national contender they are mm-hmm. but in that side of the ACC with no FSU with no Clemson with no Louisville the three best teams in the conference basically year to year to year UNC that that's really a way for them to kind of springboard their way to another really good season I mean they were a couple minutes away from maybe beating Clemson and keeping I mean, them out of the national A couple of minutes in a very questionable offsides call on an onside kick at the end of the game there. So just to round out, you got Clemson at Auburn, Notre Dame at Texas. That's going to be a hugely attended game, not to mention a hugely televised game. And then um, Old Miss, Florida State, and Orlando, which is an interesting location. Well, I think the, the main thing here is the only disappointment, because the matchups are great. Alabama, USC, I think can be much more intriguing than people are giving it credit for and I'm somebody who usually drinks the USC Kool-Aid and I'm most certainly drinking it this season I'm going to do it again but I think that that that's an intriguing game Clemson at Auburn how is Auburn going to bounce back next season very Clemson they're going to make another run can they they shedded the label of being the the team that chokes last year How, how do they start the season off and build I love that that game is at Auburn. I think that's my one disappointment is that LSU isn't going to Camp Randall. How cool would that be? How cool would it be to see Alabama fly out to Los Angeles and go play at USC or Georgia to go to right. North Carolina? But but the reality of that is Alabama's never going to fly to, to, to Los Angeles to play USC. All of their non-conference road games aren't road games. And, I mean, that's not a strictly Alabama thing. But I think what you're They're not going west unless they're playing in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> right. And, and what you're seeing, I think all of this is, and I would have to go and do a little research to dig up when these deals were made for these games to put them on the schedule, but I think this is a direct impact of what you're seeing with the playoff and scheduling cupcakes, you know, week one, week two is going to be frowned upon later in the season when you're getting compared with teams who go out and play, you know, 
at Auburn or at Texas week one. And so I think if anything else, we're going to see more and more of this early in the season, which I think is just from the fans perspective is tremendous. And I, I can't wait for this, you know, first week of September. And as we've seen, I think even more so in the playoff era, and we saw it in the, in the BCS era too, to I think a lesser extent is that losing an early game, OU lost early last year, Ohio State lost early the first year. Alabama lost early both years and, and managed to get in. I think you schedule these big games. I mean, if, if Alabama loses to USC and then goes on and wins the rest of their games, who's going to knock them and say, well, well, they lost that early game to USC. <laughs> if you want to lose, lose to a strong opponent in the first right. couple of weeks. And the caveat is you have to win your conference title. If, well, and if if I, you do lose one of these early games, I think too you get the benefit of the doubt losing to a Power Five team because even Ohio State, a couple of years ago, Virginia Tech, that team didn't turn out to be, you know, very that good. No, but uh, people still, I think, gave them the benefit of the doubt that well, it was early in the season. Virginia Tech, I think, it was prior to some injuries. It was when they were at their strongest and they were a Power Five opponent. So right. if if you lose one of those games, especially if you're Clemson and you lose at Auburn, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt because you were on the road. It was Week One. You're in a hostile environment, and then if you go on route the rest of your conference, win the conference championship, nobody's going to really care that you lost Week One. Yeah. And and yeah, you're exa- you're exactly right on that point. Um, you're not hurting yourself by going out and scheduling these games. Um, but needless to say, uh, it's like I said, from the fan perspective, the second level games too, very tasty, are great because the you know the main course Alabama, USC, FSU, yeah. Ole Miss, that that's awesome. Notre Dame, Texas, even the second level, K State at Stanford. Arizona, BYU, and Glendale. Mizzou at West Virginia. And I think maybe the most intriguing one for me, UCLA on the road at Texas A&M. Whoever loses that game, good luck. Because Kevin Sumlin, it's already there. Jim Mora, they're changing around the offense with Josh Rosen. I don't think he's particularly on the hot seat. But UCLA, I don't think, wants to start the season even on the road losing to Texas A&M. But if A&M loses that game and it's not particularly close – Kevin Sullivan's already been under a little bit of fire. Mm-hmm. That certainly wouldn't help at all. No, no, it wouldn't. And uh, the NFL day by day is looking more and more like like an option for like, Kevin Sullivan. Exactly. Where are we at on time? We got to be what forty minutes in. We're about forty three minutes in. Okay. Uh, where do you want to take this next? And we got you know a couple more topics that we wanted to talk about locally. We want to jump into the the web situation with quarterbacks at CU. We might as well pull the bandaid off. So to the listeners who haven't been following or don't pay attention to University of Colorado football, we don't blame you. And yeah, no, certainly no begrudgment there. If you're not born into this, I highly recommend you stay away. Yeah. All these kids moving in and bringing ties. You know, when they go to CU and you always have the tie. Remember that. You can say you're not a CU fan, but people always remember you're a CU grad and they're going to talk mad shit about your football team. Yeah. Especially if you graduated anywhere from 2008 to the present. Anyway, so back in, what was it, March or April, Davis Webb, grad transfer from Texas Tech, had a fair amount of success uh, when he was the starter there as a freshman and or sophomore. Said he was going to transfer... Uh, to the University of Colorado, um, which to all the CU fans out there was, was great news because the traditional starter, not the traditional starter, but the incumbent Sefo Lufau had fractured his left foot against USC last year. And if you believe all of the media reports coming out of Boulder, has had a pretty slow recovery uh, to get back into playing shape. And so that was going to be, uh, you know, kind of a godsend. We get a grad transfer quarterback in a year where we think we got a pretty good chance at making a bowl game. That's a home run. But news this week breaks um, that he, after making all these statements uh, about coming to CU, is going to go to Cal and fill in for Jared Goff uh, and try to fill his shoes. So that leaves CU in a bit of a lurch quarterback-wise. <laughs> a bit. And so if you look at the depth chart at QB without him, you've got a pretty, pretty, I mean, they've you have six quarterbacks on the roster if you want to count Jaleel Awini, uh, who is actually listed as a wide receiver, but it might be the emergency quarterback. Uh, the rundown is Jordan Gerke, senior, 
uh, Tyler McGarry, senior, Steven Montez, a freshman, and TJ Patterson, who is a junior. I feel like I follow CU football pretty closely, and I don't know who any of these people are, and that's not a good sign. No, it's not. CU's quarterback situation, better or worse than the Broncos? Probably worse since I mean, Paxton, Paxton Lynch is a first rounder. I, I don't know. Lynch is a first if he rounder. He has to see the field this year. It may not go well. You've but. got a defense to lean on, but I think the stakes might be higher for the Buffs. CSU it's, might have the best quarterback situation in the state. <laughs> they might. I don't know who's playing quarterback in but, USC. So the way you need to view this, though, when you talk about which way the Buffs need to go if Sefo Lufau isn't ready to play week one, is what are the expectations for this season? This is McIntyre's fourth year. He's shown improvement, but yet to get to that point, you know, to, to get to a bowl game and have any kind of postseason. And I think if you talk to a lot of Buff fans, this year is kind of the make or break year. It's like I said, year four. And if you go four years at a place without winning a bowl game or at least getting to a bowl game, regardless of where you started and where he started was was pretty bad. It was awful. Uh, it was it was bad. Uh, if you got four years and you can't turn it around, I think the administration is going to start looking in another direction. So, How do you, you feel about that? I think that the situation in, what was that, 2011 when he took over was was far more dire than people give him It wasn't credit Kansas for. bad. It wasn't it was Kansas st- bad. It was a, a hair above right. Kansas bad. Right. Um, yeah. And both those programs had hired former players that they thought might be able to bring them back. But um, so, you know, to I think it takes four, four years from where he was at to where he is now. And if they get to a bowl game this year, I think is par for the course. Um, but when you talk about you know the, the optics of the whole thing in four years without winning a bowl game, after four years of not winning a bowl game previously, um, I think that might wear the the patience of the administration a little thin. From a thirty thousand foot view, I'll, I think that that's how it looks. Right. When you're looking at administrators or people on the outside looking in. But there's also the they really they see you in the finances they can't afford to, and I don't know what his buyout is. I don't know what his contract structure looks like. They really can't afford to be paying another coach to not coach them. And I think too, this this is the worst possible situation. Maybe Seppo is ready, but that Liz Frank injury, they don't know when he's going to play or if he's going to play this season. They've talked about how he might take a red shirt and come back for 2017, which I also don't know how many people are very keen on on that idea either. But you have Kate Aspey who who played a little bit in his stead last year after that injury and looked decent at times. He, he, he struggled in a couple when games, he but for had, a freshman, I think right. he looked when, competent. Which when he is had time to that. throw, when he knew what, he was very accurate when he knew where he was going to go with the ball. And as a freshman, that's kind of what you'd expect. And we'll see if he can grow to read defenses, get to that second and third option in the route tree, etc. But and you also have to take into account the, the schedule and – at Michigan Week Three, that road schedule it, freshman it quarterback is brutal. You go at Michigan, at Oregon, at USC, at Stanford, at Arizona. With anybody but Sefo Lufau, I don't see them winning any of those games. May twenty first, we're calling no bowl game on the Two Stripes podcast for the Colorado Buffalo. Well, depends on the, how you feel about the home schedule. I think the home schedule is manageable enough. Idaho State, Oregon. Well, CSU on a Friday night, which I think is a stroke of genius by the the two schools to come together and put that game on a Friday night instead of a Sunday or a day game at you know, noon on Saturday. That in itself is a tough game. We've seen when CU has a talent advantage, that game it's at o- night, overtime. lubricated crowd. It's not a gimme, but I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'll call it. I think there's no way in hell they go to a bowl. And I don't think they're going to be awful, but the way that the chips have fallen for them with Kate Aspey getting dismissed, not even knowing – it looks like he's not going to play all season. I mean, that's – until I hear otherwise, that's how I think they're going to approach it until they hear otherwise. That's how they're going to approach the season. And now with Davis Webb decommitting – I think that the offense as a whole, you lose your number one wide receiver in Nelson Spruce. There's a lot of guys that have been in the fold, but they haven't been that guy yet. And you're breaking in pretty much a whole new offensive line with possibly a true freshman quarterback. 
I yeah. don't think it's going to be pretty. So, and, uh, and you it, talk it, about having to go at Michigan. I know the Oregon defense isn't great, but still, you're at, that back-to-back you're not, you're not at Michigan, at Oregon, just because you're playing Oregon State the next week, you know how beat up are they going to be heading into that game and then the next week? I mean, it, that three-game stretch at USC, Arizona State, at Stanford. That's tough. I, I think That's that tough. they absolutely have to start the season 2-0. and Yeah. If you lose either of those openers, CSU or Idaho State, you're you're done. Well, if they lose the Idaho State, yeah, game, if you're losing the Idaho State, things are. Far, I think we may know far more McIntyre's future after, you know, by after September 10th. Yeah. So well, well it's let, certainly in flux. Let me throw this out there for you. Connor Mitch said he was going to grad transfer. If we got anyone listening on the podcast, start tweeting at Connor Mitch. I, and I, I think honestly, if they can, if they could get any quarterback in here with some sort of experience, right now it's it's really late in the process. There have been guys. I think Jeff Driscoll waited until June. Maybe I could be wrong about that. Last year to go to Louisiana Tech. But if there were any grad transfers out there, I, I think just having the depth would be fine because having Jordan Gerke and Steven Montez be those top two options. You're talking about a guy who's a senior that has seen a little bit of playing time and hasn't been very good in it and a freshman who hasn't played at all. If you can just get some depth, I think that would be ideal. So yeah, Connor Mitch for Colorado. We, we're starting that yeah. right here. Let's let's get On it Twitter, going. Twitter, at, at Connor Mitch. Hit him up. Tweet, tweet. This is the one time we will encourage you <laughs> yeah. to tweet at prospective recruits. Bring Gra- him to Colorado. Grad transfers only. Don't be grad transfers only. Don't be yeah, tweeting exactly. at high school kids. I, I but I mean just to close it out. Certainly not the position that CU wants to be in heading into this season after. I think even losing to Utah to end the year last year, just it, there was it was moving in a positive direction. I mean, and you, I think you go it, back. it feels like they're so close not to a breakthrough, but just to a bull bid and to have everything is, fall is, the a, way. is a bull bid not a breakthrough? It is. It is for this program getting to the Weed Eater Bowl would be a massive success that we would celebrate as though it were a Big Twelve championship Amen. back in the day, Las Vegas Bowl. And that, that's all. I mean, and for the listeners that aren't familiar with college football if you want to get a first-hand account on how bad it's been that's what it is and and personally when it comes to McIntyre I think even if things go to shit this year and they go two and ten I I think that firing him would be a massive mistake and I agree you, you give out that vibe that when was Hawkins fired 2011 2010 mm, yes. in, in, in that area yeah. and then Embry was fired two years later yep. and then you're firing three coaches in the span of seven years it doesn't look good that's not great it's not and, what you want and the program doesn't have the best image anyway and it's already so far behind other teams that you're already working from behind but I, I really think he's done an amazing job and I do think there's a subsection of fans, though, that are starting to get a little pitchforky with him. And it's bowl game or bust, but when you really look at this team, especially the offense, I don't see it. And it's not just that. It's the schedule. The schedule's awful. Yeah, you catch a couple bad breaks with the schedule and with Cepho, and it just doesn't line up for you in a year that you said is, you know, I think if we looked at this schedule or looked at the – the future two years back, we just said 2016 is bowl game or bust. Um, but if, and I agree with you, if, if they go through and fire McIntyre after a non-bowl season, I think that's a, a, a tremendous mistake by the CU administration. But we, we, we will see what happens. Um, so it looks like we're about an hour in now. And it, again, if anyone's still listening an hour in. We appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thanks for holding on with us. Uh, I know you got a couple more topics you want to get to. I don't know how in depth we want to jump into the Baylor allegations. Preferably, I would personally like to look at the the Vegas win totals. Those projections just came out this year or this week. Um, I think we could save the Baylor. I know it's hot right now, but there's a lot of unknowns, and I don't want to. Spend- and it sounds like some things are going to happen here in the next couple of weeks. Right. So I think I would recommend pushing that off until our next episode. But uh, let's look at some win totals. Let's, I know we, we, you and I have, have, are always big on the win totals and can always find some good parlay bets in there if you're interested in, in any of the gambling. Um, so, yeah, Gold Nugget came out. First uh, w- major book to release their win totals for the season. 
and and looking at them i just there's only about two dozen of them right now that have been released and then from my understanding they only release them when they feel confident about the team's you know perspectives for that particular year if they've you know if they've got flux at quarterback or they had a big injury they'll hold back those projections before they start taking book on them but but looking at the numbers um a couple of them jump out at me auburn at seven is i that feels low i know that they're coming off a year where they had a lot of struggles but i think Gus Malzahn is is a damn good coach, and we'll have them above seven. Oklahoma at ten, with the schedule they've got and what they returned from last year. Oklahoma has a lot of pieces. I wouldn't say that they got lucky last year, but I don't think that they were. And I, some numbers would disagree with this. I don't think that they were one of the four best teams in the country last year if, if you just stack up talent and just overall power they're up there but you look at who they played this year in conference at TCU at Texas Tech at Iowa I mean that's that's making me think that yeah 10 maybe a little bit low they have Baylor at home they have Texas in the Cotton Bowl as always and they have a young Ohio State team week three who losing all that production is going to be coming in with a very young defense, and I think that kind of plays into Oklahoma's strengths. That can be a game where they can really kick it off. And then Houston to start the season, maybe a game where people think they just beat FSU. They're, they're going to come into the season with some momentum, and I think Oklahoma's going to steamroll them. So I think I flipped around my whole stance on OU here in the last 30 seconds. If the way the schedule sets up. It's, it's May 21st. It's that's okay. It's May 21st. Um, so the only uh, low total they threw out, ULV, UNLV, excuse me, four and a half. And just looking at their schedule, I mean, at UCLA, at Central Michigan, Fresno at home, got to go to Hawaii, get Colorado State at home. Tough finding five wins on that schedule for UNLV. Um, I haven't paid too close of attention to what they've got coming back. Well, and that's a that's a program kind of starting not from scratch, but Tony Sanchez. I think this is his second season at UNLV. He was the head coach at Bishop Gorman. If you follow recruiting, okay, yeah, really Las closely, Vegas. the powerhouse Las Vegas school that's produced a ton of talent. I think Ronnie Stanley, left tackle mm-hmm. for Notre Dame, was a Bishop Gorman guy, Ohio State just got a commitment from a Bishop Gorman guy. So he knows that area three and nine last year, two and six in the conference. But if anybody knows kind of the talent in that area and what it takes to, to mold, uh, I think a program in that area, he's the main guy. And is that going to bear out in the bowl bid this year? Probably not, but UNLV at four and a half, that seems like an easy bet to take the under and, and make some, some money or whatever you may be betting. Right. Patron bottles, Patron, for example. But I was, I mean, it just always makes me think when you see that number come out this early that uh, Las Vegas might know something we don't, and they'll say, ah, we'll put it at four and a half, and everyone will be, there's no way they're getting over. They certainly did with Wake Forest two and a half a couple of years ago. This is true. We, we both hit on that one, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and then, you know, there's a lot of nine and eights on here. Baylor at nine. We'll see if that number comes off the board. You know, with all of the trials and tribulations they're gonna be going through in the next couple of weeks. But uh, if you're interested, there's there's always fun games to play with with the uh, the futures betting on, on college football. Um, a lot of numbers that I think are very exploitable. And uh, if you if you feel the need, go take a look. But uh, yeah, so we're an hour in. I think it's about a good place to wrap up. I think it's probably you know we've talked about. Um, you know the Big 12 and what their future looks like and with realignment and who they could add and who would want to be part of their conference and what Texas can do or can't do uh, we previewed a bit the CFB TV concept and we'll be following that up in our next episode with uh, a little bit more detail uh, and then we talked about Colorado and their, their quarterback situation and then wrapped it up with, with uh, futures here in the last 10 minutes uh, 
What are you doing the rest of this weekend, Dubs? Saturday afternoon, five thirty. What do you got on tap? I think we got a lot of bush light in the future. I, I know that we're about to meet up with some buddies, get some video games going in. There may be a, a trip to the bars in our future. Who really knows? But just kind of lounging, relaxing. In terms of the future of the podcast, like we said earlier, we'd like to record a little bit more often, so at the very least once a week, so we don't have kind of those gaps, but it is the off season. We still have enough time to where we can kind of get our feet wet, see where we want to go with this podcast, but in the coming episodes, we'll we'll dive into the Baylor stuff because that's something I really want to touch on and the state of kind of administration about not only assaults, which I think is the most important thing, but also other sort of of crimes and legal issues within specifically college football and, and on college campuses. And the closer that we get to the year, we'll kind of fade away from talking about expansion and, and realignment and get more to the on-field product and, and what's going to go on next season, who we think might make the playoff, conference previews, everything pertaining to that. And... Uh, I guess what you guys can do is go on iTunes, like the Two Stripes podcast, subscribe, leave us a review, uh, leave us a comment. Basically, just give us any feedback that can help better the, the, the show. Go on the SoundCloud. You can download from there. You can listen from there, from your iPhone, iPad, whatever it may be. But uh, just get in touch with us and tell us what you want to hear. We're, we're not just sitting here to bullshit. We actually we want to get out there and, and hear what the listeners have to say and what you guys want to hear from college football podcast. There's yeah. a few really good ones out there, but I think just in terms of two regular-ass dudes talking about college football, you know, Ty Hildenbrand and Dan Rubenstein kind of set the standard. But other than that, there's not really anything out there, I think, for the general fan. So we, we aim to kind of give the listeners what they want to hear. Sounds good. Also, get at us on Gmail at the two stripes podcast at gmail.com. Um, that's another avenue you can send us your thoughts, questions. Um, if you want to know more about Colton or myself or have questions about our perspectives on the college football landscape, definitely uh, hit us up um, through that avenue as well. Um, anything else you want to make note of right now, Colton? Or are you uh, ready to sign off? Shout at us on the Twitter at Denver in Denver and at Dubsco. But that's pretty much it. That'll do it for the Two Stripes Podcast. Hopefully, we'll talk to you next week here. Two Stripes Podcast, we out of here.